You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. This morning as we look at what we call the Lord's Prayer, probably more rightly it should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Because this is the prayer, this is the how-to on prayer. This is what Jesus taught his disciples, a model prayer. And if you'll notice the sequence of how it goes, there are seven requests inside this disciples' prayer. The first one, the first three, aim up. And then the last three, four, are horizontal. They look around. They are right here down on the ground where we live. They're asking God for something down here. And it's important to see this because God is for your joy. Always for your joy. God is inviting you into joy. He's inviting you into relationship with himself. He is calling you deeper into himself, into relationship with him. And so as you pray, you begin to pray by saying, Our Father. You are now setting the context for your relationship with the God of all creation, calling him Father. He cares about us. He sees us. He hears us. He shepherds us. He provides for us. He heals us. He gives us rest. He gives us shelter. He sanctifies us. He is our Father, and he sits in heaven. And the first request, oh God, let me believe that that's who you are. Hallowed be your name is the first prayer. It aims straight up at God. Let your name be made holy in me so that it might be hallowed through me to the world that I live in. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. This is also something aimed straight at heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come. I want your fame to spread across the earth. What should have happened, what was commissioned to happen in the first chapters of Genesis, but sin interrupted that. We now reclaim that as the redeemed and say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. You can see those first three aimed straight at heaven. And then we get to this mundane prayer of God, give me daily bread. Right down here in the weeds of my life, I need something, and I'm coming to you with my needs. I'm learning to rely on you, not just my quick wits, not my money, not my strength, not my beauty, whatever you lean on. You learn to lean daily on the God who loves you, on the God who calls you his child. And this is a learned thing. It's not something that you have... Just because you want it, it's something that you learn. Now, I want to give you a warning. Uh, this request we're leaning into today, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a, a very intrusive sermon. It is one that will come right into your life, and it won't be something if you're paying attention and you're not daydreaming. If you engage this, if you let God speak to you, it's going to require courage on your parts. It's going to require intentionality on your parts. It will be something that God will teach you over time. You won't be very good at this, and you can't do this without His help. But as you learn to walk in grace, as you learn to walk in forgiveness, 
and learn what it is to receive forgiveness from God and to give forgiveness to others. This is something that you will learn, and this is something that is very difficult to do. You can't do it without the grace of God. And so I want you to know that as you mature in Christ and as you learn these things, some of them are very hard. And those hard things of the Lord, they're not hard to understand, they're hard to accept. They're hard to walk forward in. As you learn how to do these things, you'll find that there is joy. There's joy waiting for you. And I want you to receive this, that God is calling you to this because of his love for you. He is shaping Christ in you. If you don't learn to do this, it doesn't mean you're not saved. There's plenty of people that are saved that just won't grow much, spiritually speaking, in this life. They will wander through life with a very, how do you want to say, not deep walk with God. They talk to Him, they share with Him, but it is not vibrant. And the worst part of it is that they grow old and they get cynical. They get cynical. They don't believe good anymore. They don't believe that people will be uh, good in the church to them. They don't believe God is good to them. They just wander through life growing older and more cynical as they go, where they don't believe the promises God of God very much at all. And here's why that is so sad. We were created for, for Him. We were created for His glory. He put us on this planet at this season in this very area so that we could know Him and reflect His goodness, His kindness, His glory, His majesty to this area, Georgetown in 2023. Purpose. I want you to learn how to pray because I know how good it is when you learn how to pray. So let's look at a roadmap that I think might help you understand where this sermon is going. First, we see that, as I just explained, forgiveness is a process. It's a daily forgiveness that you learn to walk in. You grow in forgiveness, both the receiving of that forgiveness and the giving away of that forgiveness. So the second part we're going to look at is that we need forgiveness. I know that may sound very uh, easy for some, and, and some are like, of course I know that. Well, there's something more to look at more deeply in that, that we need forgiveness, and that thirdly, we need to forgive others. And so what I want to do is I want to move into some of the context, and I want to talk about what sin is. And why do we have to talk about such unpleasant things? Well, we have to because... If you don't truly understand your need for God's grace, your need for His mercy, you won't appreciate it very much. He who is forgiven much loves much. And as we start to see and understand what sin is, then we begin to treasure and value our Savior in a way that we did not before. So what is sin? Well, believe it or not, there's over 30 plus words in Scripture for this word sin. Mostly in the New Testament, you'll get five different words. But what we have, broadly speaking, are sins of commission and sins of omission. Broadly speaking, sin just means this, that you miss the mark. You miss the bullseye. You miss the target. 
the center of the target. And by missing God's perfect standard, you have sin. Sins of commission would be transgression, as we understand it. That there is a crossing of a known boundary. It is an act, a thought. It is a word that commits a sin against God and against others. And it has a cost. It's expensive. As we commit sins, we are racking up an eternal debts that only Christ can pay. There are other sins that are sins of omission. These are actions of righteousness or obedience that you failed to do. You were silent when you should have spoken up. And this is a sin. You missed the mark. You were cowardly when you should have acted bravely. See, when we look at Jesus and we see his perfect life, he is everything that we ought to be. He never failed to speak up. He was never silent when he should have spoken. He never said too much and said, man, I wish I hadn't said that. He never failed to act generously. He met God's standard perfectly for us. We did not. We have sinned against God. God is holy. And this word holy in the original language means other. It means that he's not like us. He's not compatible with us. God is holy. We are sinful. We're not compatible. One pastor said it like this. He said that it's the same thing of trying to put my hand in a fire. The two are not compatible. My hand is not compatible with that fire. It would only burn up my hand. It would shrivel it. It would damage it because they're not compatible. Because God is holy and we are sinful, we are not compatible with him. We have sinned. We have failed. We have missed the mark. Every single one of us has turned and gone his own way, and he has laid the iniquity of us all on Jesus. And so if I fail to see myself as very sinful, if I think of myself, like a lot of people do, as, well, I am failing, but I'm not like that guy. Whoever that guy is, that girl is, we can always find someone that we can look at and go, yeah, I mean, I know I'm sinful. I know that I have sinned, but I'm not at all like that. What you've done is you've graded yourself on a curve. It's a curve that God doesn't recognize. It's a self-righteousness that makes us feel okay about sin in our lives. We've fallen short of God's perfect standard. Now, why would Jesus say to those who are redeemed, should we look at this the same and say, well, do I need to pray for forgiveness daily? I mean, didn't he forgive me of all of my sins, past, present, and future, the moment that I put my faith in Christ? Yes, he did. You are positionally set apart. You are sanctified positionally, but you are growing in sanctification. You are progressing in sanctification. And so as you walk through this world, very few of us would make the bold claim that I don't sin anymore. I used to, but then I became a Christian, and now I don't. If that's you, just, just hang out with me a little bit after service, and I'll, I'll help you see it a little more clearly, right? We do. We sin. We fall short. And sometimes that's by actions that we take, and sometimes that's by actions we did not take. We have fallen short, and sometimes we can see it. 
Sometimes we can't. Listen to these words from Psalm chapter 19, verses 12 through 14. I love how David describes this pattern in his life. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Many have heard that last verse. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Did you see what came in front of it? Who can discern his errors? Keep back your servant from what? Presumptuous sins. Sins that I'm fully aware of in my life. Keep me back from committing those sins that I know about. The boundary that I can see, that I feel temptation, that you feel temptation. And then we cross that line. We cross the line that says, no, don't go any further. We walk right by it. He says, keep me from presumptuous sins. Those are ones that I am aware of. But what are the other ones? He says, keep back your servant also. And then he says, let them not have dominion over me. Because those sins would absolutely make you a slave. He says, then I should be blameless and innocent in your sight. Uh, pardon me. I'm looking for that when it was there. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Hidden faults. Hidden faults. Ones I can't even see. I know about the presumptuous sins, but I don't know about the hidden faults. They're hidden to me. I don't know that I'm doing these things because maybe my heart has gotten so comfortable with a particular pattern of sin in my life that I don't know that this is unacceptable, that this is offensive to the heart of God. These things are true blind spots in my life. I can't see them. God can see them. And likely other people in your life can see them. But you can't. And these are the sins that we need to learn to confess. When we see God in His glory, when we see Him as majestic, when we see Him as holy, we will start to see our sin. And as we interact in community, both with God and the church, our hidden faults will arise. Someone will help us if they love us to say, hey, this is not a yellow blinking light. This is a red blinking light. And someone who loves you will pull you aside. And this is why we love to promote gospel community. It's because you're going to need other Christians in your life so that you can grow into the image of Christ. And so, friends, listen closely to me. If God is who we think he is, if God is holy, if God is perfect, if we are sinners and we recognize this sin, then we start to find ourselves in need of mercy, in need of grace. Standing in the glory and the light of His presence, we start to see our sin in a brand new light. And rather than that leading to despair, you know what that leads to? Confession. Saying to God, I see it. And I agree with you. See, the problem with sin 
is the same lie from the very beginning in Genesis 3. Sin promises you this. You can sin against God, you can disobey God, and it will satisfy you and cost you nothing. And the more you find yourself in the midst of sin, the more you get brain fog about right and wrong, and you'll start doing things, listening to things, participating in things that you can't even discern as error anymore because you are carried along by enormous Currents in the culture and in your heart once sin starts to find its way. But as the Lord reveals sin to you, and he shows you what 1 Peter chapter 2 says, or yeah, chapter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. It's not going to give you joy. It's not going to give you freedom. It's going to give you slavery. It wages war against your soul. It's sin. How do I get out of that? I confess. I go to my father and say, forgive me. Cleanse me. I need your grace. I need your mercy. We read um, earlier this morning... From Psalm 32. I think it was the call to worship, James, or was it? Yeah. Just listen to how David describes his confession after his great sin with Bathsheba. Verse, uh, what is that? Five says, I acknowledge my sin. Listen to the different words within. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see this? We need His grace. As you sit there right now, if you've trusted in Christ, your sin is forever covered by the grace of God, but your feet get dirty in this life, and you must relationally go to Him, confessing to Him, Father, I have sinned. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to, as I move forward in this life, confess and agree with you about my sin. And God will forgive the guilt of your sin. And then David says right after that, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time that you may be found. You know what he's saying? I confess and found freedom and joy, and I want you to find the same thing. So confess your sin. Find that you have a forgiving God who is willing to forgive. And see, all of this sets the stage for the next statement that God would forgive us as we forgive others. I fear that if you don't spend a little bit of time just Asking God to reveal sin in your life, you'll get very comfortable with sin. You'll start to think God's comfortable with it. And as you pray daily, God, I want to confess my sin. Several years ago, I was on a prayer retreat. I was walking. It was in Florida. I was just walking and praying. I was not happy about something that was going on in my church at the time. And I was letting God know what I was not happy about. I was... Emoting, I guess you could say, and I was telling God about it. And uh, as I was talking, I feel like God said 
inside my soul. Robert, you've complained a lot that you haven't thanked me. <laughs> and I knew it was him. I mean, I just knew the Lord had spoken in my heart that day. You've complained a lot, but you haven't thanked me. And I spent the next hour just thanking God for all the good things he had done in the church, all the good things he'd done in me, in spite of me. God revealed the sin of a grumbling, complaining heart that day, and I wasn't even aware of it. One other time, in my first church, I had a guy that just really didn't like me much, and he was very wealthy. And so he was trying to wine and dine people and trying to convince them that maybe I should be moved out of that role as pastor. And, and I remember just telling God, this just isn't fair. I'm just so mad about this. I mean, I don't understand why you let this guy act like this. And I feel like God just said to me, yeah, stop fearing man. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 22, listen to this. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? You know what the Lord is saying to me? You get up and you confront this problem. You go to him and tell him that he has sinned. You've been afraid of this guy because he's wealthy. He doesn't control your job, I do. He doesn't have authority over the church, I do. And I place you there, and I want you to engage the problem. And don't be afraid of what may happen if you do. Trust me and obey me. So as I say this, I just want you to think about something. Because what's coming next is really hard. What I'm about to say to you, it's going to be really hard for some of you to accept. Let's just start with this. God, I need grace. Every single day, I need your grace. I need forgiveness. Uh, Help me, search me, know me, know, see if there's any hurtful, anxious way in me is what David says in Psalm 139. And so you invite the Spirit of God to reveal sin in your life, patterns, attitudes, actions, words, things that you need to confess to God and ask Him for mercy and grace. And as you receive that, you will say, I have needed and received so much grace. That what comes next will make sense to you. We don't only need to receive forgiveness and need to be forgiven. We also need to forgive others. We need to forgive others. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It says debts. Forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of you grew up saying forgive us our trespasses. We forgive our, those who trespass against us. Same idea. Sin has a cost, and it's an eternal cost. I was listening to a song the other day with one of my kids in the car. There's a song by a guy named Don Henley of the Eagles. You guys know the Eagles? Hotel California. Don Henley had a song, and it's called The Heart of the Matter. And in the middle of that song, he says, I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter. And he says, uh, but here's what it comes down to, forgiveness. Even if you don't love me anymore. He's seen it to his like, ex-wife or something like that. He says, there's people in your life who come and go. They'll hurt your pride. You know, they'll, they'll break you down. He says, you got to put it all behind you because life goes on. If you keep carrying that anger, it'll eat you up inside. And I was like, how does this guy who doesn't make no claim of knowing Christ say that after years of thinking about this, I think it's this. I need to forgive. I need to forgive because if I don't, 
It's just going to live inside me, this anger, this hurts, and it will eat me up inside. And so what is Jesus teaching? Back to the scripture. What is he teaching? He says, forgive us as we forgive others. It's like this. God used the same scooper on me that I've been using on others. Portion to me like I've portioned to others. God, you give me grace and forgiveness in the same measure as I've been using on others. Well, how big of a scoop of grace do you want God to use with you? A big one, right? A really big one. I want God to forgive me big time. Okay, good. Well, then I need to be that sort of person who forgives. The only problem is I can't. I, I, I can't will that in me. To be this kind of gracious, forgiving person means I have to receive an enormous mountain, an ocean of grace for my own sin. And C.S. Lewis again saying, that in his book on mere Christianity, he says about forgiveness, yeah, forgiveness is really fun until you have something to forgive. It's easy in the lecture. It's hard in the lab. Everybody here this morning has somebody that they need to forgive. You might even have a top five list. No nervous laughter on that one? I guarantee you've been injured. And you might be able at this moment to say, this person has injured me more than anybody in the world. In all of my life, this person. And it didn't take you long to think of who that is for you. But you've got a number two, a number three, and a number four. You've been injured by the sin of others. And you need to forgive. You need to forgive. Now, this is what else C.S. Lewis said in that book. He said, yeah, I, I can just hear people even now saying, well, that sounds easy for you, but I'd like to know how you would feel if you were a Polish Jew living in Krakow in 1941. Then let's hear your words on forgiveness. He said, actually, I'd like to know that too. I very much would like to know how I feel about forgiveness if I was in that spot. He said, but before we get to that heavy stuff of forgiveness, let's just do some very simple stuff. Before we look at trigonometry and imaginary numbers, let's just do some simple addition and subtraction when it comes to forgiveness. There are people that you live your life with right now, teachers, parents, siblings, you just need to forgive them. Not some great offense, some person who deeply hurts you. Let's leave that for a moment and just think about the person that you need to forgive daily that you live with. Let's start there. And as you think about the fact that God has called you to forgiveness, God has called you into this difficult thing of forgiveness, He did not leave you alone to sort it out by yourself. He's the grace-giving God. He's the one that has been offended by you and by me at such a high level, at such a great debt, that it makes your other relationships, your hurt, it eclipses it so much that you couldn't even see it with a magnifying glass if God didn't help you. 
Your offense against God was so much greater than the offense that you are remembering right now from somebody else. That doesn't mean it's not real. But friends, he has called us to forgiveness. He has called us to live out the glory of his name on this earth. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we receive the grace of God. And in receiving that, share the grace of God. And so God has called you just to start with the people right around you. Forgive them. Ask them to forgive you. Because you also have hurt them. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through why to forgive. And then I want to walk you through how to forgive. And some of this is where it's going to be very challenging. First, we want to say, why should we forgive? Why should we forgive? Can't we just move on? I mean, if we're saved, do we have to do this? Can we just move on? Well, we have to do this. We are commanded to forgive. We are commanded to forgive. We're commanded right here in this passage to forgive. We're also commanded in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says, be compassionate with one another. Forgive one another, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Forgive one another. You are commanded to this. Why does he command this? For our joy and for his glory? We are commanded. It honors God. See, the original call of Adam and Eve in the garden was that they might have children that would, and that they would multiply, spread God's fame throughout the earth. They were to be image bearers that would spread out across the globe, honoring God by reflecting his glory. Well, they denied that with their sin. We are called as Christians now, filled with the Spirit of God, to honor him and to make disciples. Well, the only way we're going to do that is by preaching the gospel, a gospel of repentance for sin, forgiveness from God. And so it honors God. That's why we forgive. He's forgiven us. And we forgive each other. And we live out the mandate to fill up the earth with the glory of God. But here's a big one on why to forgive. It frees us. It frees us. I was in Jerusalem. I would like stories to start with things like that. I was in Jerusalem. I was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is a big church right in the heart of it all. And I had gone... Upstairs, I wanted to see the upstairs. I was with my friend. He's an executive from McDonald's. And uh, we looked around. And then we came downstairs. We met our tour guide. And he said, hey, you guys got about 15 more minutes to look around and let's meet outside. And so I said to Daryl, I said, hey, let's go back upstairs, you know. Let's go see the rest of all that stuff up there. And so I said, but let's not go up the front steps because they're crowded with people. Let's you and I go up the back steps. And so we'll skip that big line. So as we're going up these steps, these steps are unnatural steps. It's a dark, narrow hallway leading up, and something's wrong with the travel. It's like too wide or, or too tall or something. But anyway, so we're walking up these steps, and as we're about halfway up, we'll see if traffic starts to come back down. But I was not to be deterred. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get up these steps. And as I got to the top, I felt the hand on my chest, and a big beefy guy, that was like a tour guide, is putting his hand in, no, you go back down. And I'm like, get your hand off my chest. I, I moved down, get your hand off my chest. Uh, you kind of have this feeling when you're in this Church of the Holy Seventh Earth. 
if I don't have a little bit more of a taxi cab driver mentality, I'm going to get ran over in this place. So I was kind of in the, hey, I'm, I, can, I can, you know, do this, right? Well, he had the same response to me. And he's like, no, you go back down. And I'm like, well, no, we're already up here and we're not going back down. Well, this guy basically came and got nose to nose with me from a step up. And, uh, and I, something in my flesh just wasn't ready to back down. I just kind of had that moment. You, maybe you've been there, I don't know. Maybe you're not wired like that. It's not to my glory at all. It's to my shame that I had that. But I basically came to this moment where I thought, am I going to get in a fist fight in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? A shoving match with this guy? Or am I going to turn around and walk down these stupid steps? And I just decided, yeah, I guess I'm going to turn around and walk down the steps. I'm not going to get a fight. As I'm heading down the steps, he goes, when you're in my country, you do what I tell you to do. Cool. <laughs> that just wasn't a great moment for me. And uh, Daryl got me by the shoulder and goes, come on, Robert, come on, Robert, come on, Robert. He <laughs> just walk outside. We walk outside. I'm stewing. Just stewing. We're outside, we're waiting to meet the rest of the team. And I must have spent 45 minutes reliving how I wish I had handled that. And just kind of in a moment, I feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, you've already wasted 45 minutes being angry and hurt. It was really my pride that was hurt. It was my pride. Someone bossed me around and I didn't stand up. And so I feel like God said, are you going to waste another 45 minutes or are you going to forgive this guy? I mean, you're in Jerusalem. Are you going to let this steal the rest of the day from you? How long are you going to let what happened steal the rest of your time? And I thought, yeah. One, I shouldn't have been going off those steps. There's no sign that says you can't, but I, I kind of knew I was taking a shortcut. And two, my pride got hurt. My pride got hurt. And so I just said, I need to forgive this guy. I just need to forgive him and move on. There's somebody that hurt your pride. There's somebody that deemed you in such a way that you think about it. And it has power over you today. And you need to forgive them. Your unforgiveness, I've heard it said, is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. It's you that's drinking the poison. When you forgive, it frees you. It frees you. And you need to forgive. Let's talk about how to forgive. How to forgive. You have to decide to forgive. That's the first thing. You have to decide to. I want you to know this. Forgiveness is not about emotion. It's about volition. It's about will. Do I want to forgive or do I want to nurse the anger that I feel, the hurt that I feel. Do I want to hold on to it and sip from it now and then? Because to do otherwise might make you feel less than. And so you want to hold on to it. That is a decision you are making. And I want to admonish you, first and foremost, decide to forgive. God in Christ decided to forgive you, to forgive me. So make the decision to submit your will to God and make that decision that you want to and you will forgive. It's not about how you feel right now. This is about a choice that you're going to make. It's probably going to involve something that is really difficult. 
It's the word called lament, and we don't speak about it enough. Lament means taking the hurt that you feel that makes you want to hold on to that and not make that decision. Lament is when you take all that energy and you put it out in front of God and say, here, it's a mess, but at least it's a mess in front of you. And so I'm going to take the hurt, I'm going to take the anger, I'm going to take the disappointment, I'm going to take the shame of it all, the feelings of it all, and I'm going to lament in front of you that this thing happened, this decision was made, this action against me happened, this thing that I did, whatever it is, I'm going to lament, feel the hurt, but I'm going to feel it differently this time. I'm going to feel it right here in front of you. I'm going to cry about it, but I'm going to cry about it in your throne room. And this is a decision that takes a lot of courage. It's not easy to do. Because a lot of times, the hurt that you're feeling includes with it shame. Shame. I, I wanted to be a tough guy in Jerusalem. I saw, I, and no one tells me what to do. No one bosses me. I'm like that. I say do sometimes. Now, fight it out or submit and humble yourself. You know, there was, there was something that I needed to carry in front of the Lord and say, I don't do this in front of you. It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to live in me. and It's going to make me septic. My emotions are going to turn inward and ugly and corrupted, and it's going to stink inside of me. And so instead of that, Father, I'm going to lament in front of you, and I will decide to forgive. With my volition. Number two, I want you to see that forgiveness is a journey more than a destination. Be patient. See, some of you are thinking, if I forgave this person, why do I still feel so raw about it? Did I really forgive them if I'm always thinking about it and I'm just still hurt and angry? Friends, forgiveness is more of a journey when the pain was really deep, when the incident was really hurtful, when the season was really ugly and hard. You are on a journey of forgiveness. Take the next step. Don't think that it was a one and done, that if I forgave this person, it's over, and I don't think about it anymore. Okay, you might, and when it comes up, at the most inopportune times, and you still feel like you haven't forgiven, just say to God, I need to take another step forward with you in forgiveness. Help me to forgive what I just remembered this time. And then it comes up again, and then you bring it right back into the presence of God, and again, you make the decision, I will lament, and I will forgive. And here's what you're going to find. Over time, you won't be in the place you started. You'll be in a whole different place. And when you remember the thing that hurt most, you will not feel the same. You'll feel peace. You'll still hate what happened, but it won't run you. And it shouldn't run you anymore. You should not carry with you continual hurt and anger that is unresolved. Carry it straight to the throne room of God. And as you do, step by step, day by day, month by month, you will find yourself looking up and realizing you have forgiven and it was a journey. So be patient. Just be patient. Now here's something that you need to hear because some of you are having a real struggle right now with this. Reconciliation and forgiveness are two separate things. Okay? You can forgive and you should forgive 
now. Jesus forgave those who were crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. So you can forgive anyone. That doesn't mean that they are reconciled with you. Reconciliation is something totally different, and it cannot happen if the person doesn't repent. You can't reconcile with somebody who is onwardly moving in their sin. You are called to forgive. You are not necessarily called to reconcile and say, I'm just going to accept the sin that you're committing and invite you right back into the same place you were in. That's what reconciliation would be. If I'm really forgiven, well, then we're reconciled. No, you're not. Reconciliation happens when there is repentance. And as somebody repents, then you can start working out reconciliation that is also a process. And it may well never end where it started. It may look very different in your relationship. But these are separate things. I reconciled with my dad even more after he died. <laughs> I had to forgive my dad, and I did. And we reconciled our relationship. And then after he passed, we reconciled even more. Just as I prayed and as I worked it out with God. And so reconciliation is a totally separate thing from forgiveness. And some of you need to hear that because it sounds like, well, if I forgive, true forgiveness would mean that, that everything is hunky-dory and we're all back to having Thanksgiving dinner together. Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe someday. And maybe not. Two separate things. Now here's something else about forgiveness. You need to commit to not bring it up anymore. You're not going to bring it up anymore. You're not going to bring up the incident, the hurt, the anything. Once it's forgiven, you need to commit that you're not going to bring it up. Once you've done with it, you're not going to bring it up to God anymore. You're not going to bring it up to others anymore. Well, you know, this person, you know all about them. You're not going to do that anymore, and you're not going to bring it up to yourself. You're letting it go. You're letting it go. You're no longer going to nurse this thing. You're going to forgive and step back. And this also is an act of God's grace in your life. As you grow in grace and truth, and you start to understand that God has forgiven so much in your life, it will free you to forgive others. And this is the mark of a maturing Christian. Learning how to both receive from God the grace that you need every day and then to give it away. To give away forgiveness. To forgive the person that has harmed you. And to work out what that looks like in your reconciled relationship. This is what God has done with us. He initiated it. Some of you know that in John chapter 19, that Jesus on the cross used a Greek accounting term as he was dying, he used this term. He says, when Jesus re received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Literally, it is paid in full. What is paid? What's paid? Our sin debt was forgiven. The only way we get to have communion with God is because of Jesus Christ. And he will help you every day learn how to both receive and give away grace and forgiveness. If you need more, if you need to talk more, set up a time and let's have coffee. 
I'm your pastor. I'm one of the pastors here. Michael's a pastor. He's done a lot of this himself. We can help you. Talk with your gospel community leader. Tell them, I know that God wants me to forgive somebody. Would you help me take the journey? Pray with me.